0: hockey fans and welcome back to rotowire signature nhl hockey pod podcast with statsman and aj friends i'm paul bruno in toronto ontario and you can follow me at statsman 22 my co-host as always is aj shoals a great follow at aj shoals 24 that's aj s-c-h-o-l-z 24 based in sun prairie wisconsin i hope the sun is shining out there it's beautiful here in toronto that's very close to rotowire headquarters over in madison and uh buddy we got uh couple more weeks to go in the regular season, and you and I talked before we went to air. We're going to punt uh, the also-rans after this episode. You won't hear us talk about the teams that aren't projected to make the playoffs. There's going to be a couple maybe in contention for the last roster spots out in the Western Conference that we may include next week, but we're going to say goodbye to a number of teams uh, who didn't measure up this year, and this is kind of putting them in the penalty box, and we'll take a parting shot at those clubs, AJ, for a little bit of fun to say why – the, their seeds didn't measure up to the ones that are going to go to the dance. So, uh, But without further ado, I want to get into uh, a discussion that I'm seeing in a lot of different panels across my uh, TV and the, the different sports channels, and that is a discussion of the major trophy candidate leaders. The Hart Trophy, Norris Trophy, and the Vesna Trophy are the ones that we'll focus on for our purposes today. That means the best, most valuable player to his team is the Hart Trophy, the most valuable defenseman, the Norris, and the most valuable goalie, the besna Let's begin with the Hart Trophy, AJ. I have had a hard time trying to narrow this down to three candidates. I wound up with four, and uh, I went with McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon, and Gaudreau. Um, I wonder if you agree with them as maybe the top four choices or if you want to throw another one in, but how do you how do you try to get this down to a – uh, final three, which is what we're going to hear when the league comes out with their, their candidates. And uh, let me know what you think about the four names that I've said. And uh, if I've missed anybody, throw one in and pick your best three.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think you're going to be hard pressed for it not to end up being McDavid, Matthews and McKinnon. Um, but what I have always said uh, on this show and, and all the time is that for me, The heart is supposed to go to the most valuable player on his team. And I, fair or not, for me, if I were a voter, that kind of eliminates McDavid from consideration because he has dry saddle, right? Like, is that fair? Probably not. But you're talking about the top two of the top three point producers in the league right now playing with each other. Like, if one goes down, the other should be able to carry the team vice versa. I like the inclusion of Johnny Gaudreau here. Matthews is obviously 58 goals like he's for sure should be among the Hart Trophy candidates. Um, I would like to see Jonathan Huberdeau get a little love here. You know, 105 points, 77 assists, which to me, in a lot of ways, assists speak to most valuable player, almost more, not quite, but almost more than goals because it means you're making your teammates better by dishing the puck to other people, you're not having to just go out and, and do all the goal scoring yourself. Now I don't mean that as a knock on Austin Matthews. He's also got 41 assists. So he's, he's certainly generating assists as well. And kudos to him for, you know, leading the league in goals. But when you have 105 points and 77 of them are coming from assists, like that's a pretty valuable player to your team. And in, in my opinion, so um if I was going to name the three, I would probably go Huberto, Matthews, and uh, McDavid, uh, uh, McKinnon, rather. Those would be my my three candidates. Who's your winner? Uh, I would probably pick Huberto, um, to be totally honest. The Panthers have been phenomenal this year. Um, but, you know, I, I think any one of those guys would be willing. But, yeah, I, th- I think I'd pick Huberto.
0: All right. Well, I- I'm going to counter that, and I might surprise you. I I think McKinnon. McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews, Gaudreau, Huberto, they're all th- very worthy candidates. I think I will agree that Matthews needs to be in there. I believe McKinnon should be in there. And I'm going to say McDavid needs to be in there just because, again, he's leading the league at sco- point scoring. That has to count for something. Certainly, Huberdoa has more points than uh Matthews, uh, you got to look at the goal scoring too and say, well, Matthews deserves a bit of a nod there, but you were those on the better team. So it becomes a real jumble for me though. I, I think I lean to, toward Nathan McKinnon, AJ. And, and it's, it's a whole package deal for me with him, knowing the backstory a little bit and realizing, did he take top dollar to be joining this team? No, he didn't. And did he do it so they, they could build around? Yes, he did. Uh, That that story doesn't get told often enough, in my opinion. And it's a big reason why Colorado is uh, neck and neck with Florida to be the class of the league. And uh, certainly when McDavid is playing, for my money, he's just as dominant as any player you can name that we've talked about uh, in the opener here. And and his team is right there at the top of the standings. So uh, the thing that the knock against him, I'll say, is that he plays in the softest of the four divisions in terms of the ease, uh, the level of competition that he gets to play against more often than not. So for me, it's neck and neck between McKinnon and Matthews is what it comes down to. And it's that last fact that brings Matthews back into the race. He plays in, I think, the toughest, most competitive division in hockey. You look at four of the top eight teams are, are in this division. and You can argue, yeah, but two or three of the worst are in there too. But there's a reason, because they get pounded more often. By the, by the heavyweights. I mean, the Leafs certainly give the, the also Rands a bit of a break. They're not very good against them, but the other teams are pounding them right regularly. So my vote is maybe McKinnon over Matthews by a hair. And uh, I, I think you and I are in the minority here, not calling Matthews the uh, odds-on favorite. Um, that's the, what I'm hearing and seeing. And McDavid certainly deserves a lot of love because he's a very dominant player in this league once again, this season. So uh, up it's for grabs. I'll clear, say, Paul, what's that? I think that
1: David will probably win it. I don't think he should, but he probably will.
0: <laughs> well, we'll see. We've hedged our bets nicely here, but uh, uh, I think we both surprised our, our listeners with the picks that we've made. And I think that's kind of cool. And we hope that we get encourage can encourage our listeners to come up with their picks for heart, Norris and Bezna. if we get any kind of traction on that we'll share it next week we really encourage you to do so and we'll tell you how once again by tweeting at tweeting at us during the course of the week with your picks the Norris trophy best most valuable defenseman AJ I went with Roman Yossi, Kale McCarr, Victor Hedman on my list you can make a great case for each of the any of the three I'm going to throw to you and say which one of these guys do you pick as your top d-man
1: yeah, I would just toss Adam Fox probably in the mix uh, as well. Um, him and Hedman are, are kind of right there. Um, I, I think for me, it's hands down. Kale McCarr um, leads the all-defensemen and goals. He's just a few points behind Roman Yossi. And then you look at the plus-minus. I mean, he's a ridiculous plus 45. And and I get people that want to slam that stat, and and that's fine. But when it's that heavily skewed in one direction or the other, I think that does say something about, uh, the team and let's not forget 32 power play points, uh, out of those 81 total points. And those don't count towards your plus minus. You don't get a plus when you're out there on the power play. So, um, I, I think that says a lot about his five on five play that it's a plus 45, um, Right there. I, I would not be certainly upset or, you know, think that he got robbed if, if Roman Yossi won. Um, but I do think it's a it's a two dog show. Um, and Kale McCarr would be my pick.
0: Well, I'm going to add a third dog and that's going to be Roman is going to be my pick. Uh, I think it's actually between him, Hedman and McCarr. Rose and Roman Yossi gets my nod because he's the only defenseman to lead his team in scoring. He's a big time minute eater, just like the other guys are but there's no forward domino dominant players that really level up with the guys that McCarr is playing with or Hedman is playing for that matter. I, I think there's some good players on Nashville, but the fact of the matter is Roman Yossi is the best of that lot. And he's coming close on pace to a hundred point season. We haven't seen that for eons in the NHL. So he's got to get credit for that as well as his defensive acumen. Uh, he sports a big time plus as well. And, uh, Plays for a team that's not one of the league heavyweights I'll say though they are destined for a postseason berth I do believe and finally the Vezina Trophy AJ uh, my three candidates this might be the easiest call of all my three candidates include a guy that I thought was going to be there at the beginning of the season so I'm going to pat my back for including Jacob Marshall in my list Freddie Anderson uh has had a fantastic year in Carolina, though the quality of the team in front of them. They play a very good shutdown defensive game to make him look good too. And then Shisterkin in New York has to be the cream of the crop, considering what he's done with the Rangers. It's a team that has really come fast track uh, down the fast track in terms of a, a rebuild process, and it's largely on on his shoulders that it's gone so well. He covers up for a lot of mistakes, and he he was in in. Uh, the hard trophy discussion in a lot of quarters too, and may still be, but I think he's head and shoulders above the rest of the gang in the NHL's goalie parade. I don't know if you'd add any other names, but those are the three that I picked, and Shisterkin in my winner.
1: I think you're I think you're totally wrong on Shusterkin, to be to be honest with you. Uh when you look at the the game's played load, like yeah, Shusterkin uh leads, you know, leads in, in save percentage and has been really good. Um, but you've got a guy in Freddie Anderson, who has the lower uh, goals against average between the two, has played in a couple more games. They've got the same number of sh- uh, shutouts. Markstrom should definitely be in there. He leads the way in shutouts. Um, and I think UC Soros should be a, a top contender. Leads the league in games played at 60, uh, or actually second in the league in games played at 61. Has 36 wins, which is the top of the class. 0.922 is the save percentage. Um, Darcy Kemper's name could be in there, too, if you really wanted to expand this out. Um, but I think for me, just the, the sheer workload and volume that uh, Saros has put in. And again, you mentioned it. You know, he doesn't have necessarily the uh, same offensive level of team around him. Uh, I really think he should be in that mix as well. Um, but you know what, at the end of the day, I've kind of talked round and round here and I bring myself around. I think it's Jacob Markstrom, uh, who should win it. 34 wins. That's two behind Soros. Nine, two, four is the save percentage, which is a right, you know, it's a little bit behind Shisterkin, but, uh, a lot more games played, nine more games played and five more shutouts. Uh, so I'll take Markstrom as the Vesna trophy winner.
0: Okay. So to summarize, I'm going to get off uh, the fence and say, Matthews for me is a heart. You say Huberdeau. I say Yossi for the Norris. You say Makar. And for the Vezina, I have Shisterkin and you have Marstrom. We're going to keep these on record and come back to them, A.J., when the, when the results are announced. And uh, I'm kind of glad that we have differences in each case because it will spark, spark some debate and hopefully some interest in terms of our listenership. Again, we encourage you to come back to us with those picks once you've had a chance to digest the performance by the end of the season all right my friend as usual we're going to go through all 32 teams for one last time this year so enjoy the discussion on the parting shots on some of the also also ranch we're beginning beginning with a couple of them right off the top AJ and you get first served by talking about the Anaheim Ducks for the last time this season they're coming off a one one in one week ready set go partner. All right.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Anaheim, uh, I do think you obviously have to, uh, you know, injuries have been a bit of a factor here when you consider, you know, Adam Henrique played in 51 games, Ryan Getzlaff 51 games, uh, Silverberg at, at 53. So they, they've got some top, you know, some players that would generally be, you know, top six, top nine that, that have been out of the lineup. So I do think you have to give them a little bit of leeway there. Um, You know, heading into next year, they're obviously not going to have Getzloff anymore as he's set to retire um, after, what, 17 seasons, I think it was. So uh, all that to say, I think this is just a young team that's still trying to figure out, um, you know, it it still needs some of these younger guys to develop. And they're getting there. Absolutely. They're getting there. Uh, Trevor Zegers, 55 points this season. Troy Terry, 59 points. Um, I would like to see them maybe get a little younger on the, on the blue line. They're a little heavy dependent on Cam Fowler and Kevin Shattenkirk in terms of offensive production. Um, so I, I think that could definitely help, but you know, this team finished, uh, you know, not crazily outside of the, the playoff race. I mean, they're like 14 points back of Vegas right now, um, which would still be outside, but, um, I, I think they have all the pieces here to, you know, build on their current success heading into next year. So while this year didn't work out and, and the fans there in Anaheim will have to say goodbye to Ryan Geslaff at the end of the year here. Um, there's some reasons for optimism, and I think they are headed in the right direction.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what the uh, Arizona Coyotes look like next year when they play in front of friends and family in that uh, university <laughs> ring out there in uh, in the desert. And I hope to be there for a game or two next year, assuming things uh, are viable in that space. Uh, miss going out that way to visit relatives, and I like to go during hockey season. So looking forward to seeing what develops. It's going to be interesting to see. They're going to have a different look because they're going to be able to punt on a couple of – Contracts that are winding up, Phil Kessel and Louis Erickson both playing the last years of their deals. That means $12.8 million coming off the books. And Andrew Ladd has got one more year at five point five million on the pen, defense. Anton Strahlman, another guy for $5.5 million. So they're going to have uh, a number of openings on the roster here next year. And they're going to be busy at the draft, AJ. They've got a, collected a bunch of draft picks that they will be able to make this year. So in the next couple of seasons, we're going to see this team change over and look very different from the catch basin of the NHL where they take on other people's problems for, for futures. They've done that, and I think they've done it well enough that they, they're going to reap the rewards if they draft well. So that's going to be hold the key to the future in Arizona. And uh, if it goes well, they're going to need a bigger rink to house, house a fan base that should like what develops here. But if not, they're probably well-suited to the little place that they've got.
1: Only a Canadian would decide to go south for the winter to somewhere nice and warm, like Arizona, and then would go sit in a hockey rink, Paul. That (laughs) has to be the most Canadian thing that you've ever said on this show. Very Uh, good. Yeah, I like to go down to Arizona and then go to a hockey game. Like, when I go south for it to be warm... I usually try and avoid doing anything that would be cold, although I have been to a handful of Tampa Lightning games heading uh, south to Florida myself. But anyway, uh, we'll talk about one of the teams that will be in the playoffs here, the Boston Bruins. Um, Continued absences heading into tonight of David Pasternak, Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Carlo is out of the lineup. Those are some big concerns here. Obviously, Pasternak is, is the big one there. They are going to get Matt Grzelczyk back tonight, so that should help. The addition of Josh Brown at the deadline, I think, also helps bolster their units so they won't hurt as badly on D. But you're going from David Pasternak in your top six to Jasper Froden is going to play with Halla and Hall tonight. Um, so they, they are really pretty thin here. And I think it's affecting the rest of the line combinations here. Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith have had kind of a rough go lately. Um, They're going to switch things up and put Tom uh, Thomas Nosick in that spot to see if that kind of shuffles thing around. So um, they really need to get those guys back. There hasn't been a lot of details on timeline, which is obviously going to be a concern to Boston fans. The other kind of interesting thing over the last couple of weeks has been Linus Olmark has taken more of the starts. Um, He's appeared in six of their last nine games and maybe playing himself into a larger share. I, I think the you know the game one playoff goaltending spot is still up for grabs here in Boston, and that's also not to say that we'll just see one guy in the playoffs. Uh, they may do a ride the hot hand situation, um, but if I had to pick right now, I think Omar would be the guy they would use for
0: that game one over Swayman right now. And, A.J., I've had my fill of the Buffalo Sabres over the last few weeks watching them toy with the Maple Leafs like no other team has done this year. The Leafs have 20 losses this year, and Buffalo is responsible for three of those defeats, and they all look the same. This, They check the Leafs into the ice. They use a physical advantage the, with some of their hulking forwards to, to lean on the Toronto club, and uh, I don't think the Leafs like to play these guys. It's been proven out to the, to the point where – they were widely panned over that last win, a uh, last loss for a total lack of effort that we haven't seen too much all season. That's a credit to the young Sabres who are developing up front on their their offense. They've got a huge center in Tage Thompson, who they they got uh, in a trade, and he looks like a keeper in the middle of the ice and formed a great partnership with Alex Tuck, who came from Vegas. So they've got uh, they've brought along Jeff Skinner. They've got a formidable lineup. On that top line, rather, and uh, and uh, they've shaken up Skinner to the point where people aren't talking about his bad contract anymore. He looks like a good, I won't say a great value, but a decent return now and based on, on the level of scoring that he's providing. And that's that's a credible first line that they've got, and uh, it's a good step in the right direction. They're hoping for other players to take the next step, and the pressure's on them. Uh, when I say the names of Casey Middlestad and Rasmus one they're two guys that I look for. Uh, taking the big next step next year. And Dylan Cousins might be in the same breath. And it's another team that that is going to be shedding some contracts as well in the offseason and has a wealth of of draft picks coming their way. So you won't see Cody Eakin in the mix next year. Probably Vinny Stroza will wave bye-bye. And uh, same with Colin Miller and or with Will Butcher on the fence. That's going to free up about $10 million for this team to do some some hunting and some shopping in addition to gathering up some prospects at the NHL draft. So the future is looking brighter for Buffalo. They only wish they could play the Leafs 41 times next year.
1: (laughs) That would certainly help based on what we've seen lately. Um, You know, Paul, I think if the Leafs played them 41 times, they might figure out how to beat them a a little more often. I'll give the Leafs some credit. If they played Buffalo that much, they might finally be able to figure it out. Uh, In Carolina, it was a three-in-one week. Uh, led by Freddie Anderson, two wins, six goals allowed along the way, Um, and really getting production, you know, pretty much throughout this lineup. You've got Jordan Stahl with six goals this last week, Aho with uh, six points, Feshnikov with six points, Seth Jarvis, who I talked about on the DraftKings show today as one of my DFS uh, players, has really kind of rediscovered his game. He had a pretty rough February That was really inconsistent. Start of March wasn't great, but he missed three games due to injury. And since then, 13 points in his last 14 contests. So uh, Seth Jarvis kind of really stepping back into that position that we saw him earlier. This is probably one of the healthiest teams in the NHL right now. And we know the playoffs can be a war of attrition. I hopefully haven't jinxed them, but they are going to get, yes, Barry caught Kanemi back which I know Paul is thrilled about. He's Paul's <laughs> fav- favorite player. Paul loves uh, talking about Kanemi. Before his injury, um, was mired in a pretty lengthy goal drought, but did have three assists in the last three games. So it's possible that he was finding something. We'll see if he can get out
0: of that slump after eight games on the sideline. AJ, the Calgary Flames are among the class of the Western Conference, and they have been all season long, and it's been largely on the strength of a Big physical club that's backed by one of the best goalies in hockey. And Jacob Markstrom, you mentioned, he leads the league in shutouts and full value for the defensive style of play. But they also boast one of the best attacking forward lines in the league we've talked about, uh, Lindholm, Tuchuk, and Gaudreau. At length all season, Tuchuk, to me, has really reined in his emotions, AJ, and he's channeling them better than he, I've ever seen. And he's really emerging as a leader of this club. And as long as he retains that focus and that fire – He's going to lead this team a long way in this postseason. I think that that's something they needed to get under wraps. And it's a key development for this team that he's not uh, an emotional distraction, I'll say. And Lindholm has been just a perfect centerman for for him and Gaudreau. The, the, Lindholm has filled the net himself, but he's let, left most of the offense for his wingers who are two of the best in the league. Gaudreau in the discussion, we already talked about him for the uh, league's most valuable player. In terms of the future, what uh, what it looks like to me is they got a real problem in Sean Monahan. He hasn't played for a couple of weeks now, and it looks like the, he won't for the rest of the season because he's on LTIR. He's got one more year with a cap hit of $6.35 million, and he just doesn't seem to be uh, Coach Sutter's t- cup of tea. Uh, and, and certainly he hasn't had a run at, in a scoring line center position for months I'll say and so they gotta find some some way of just discarding his salary. It might cost them a draft pick for some other team to take him on. Maybe Seattle will be uh, a team that that opts for something like that. So you can look for that kind of move in the offseason. But I wonder if the likes of Erica Branson and Nikita Zadorov playing out the string on expiring contracts, if they'll be back next year. There's some question about that. And then the bottom six will be revamped because a whole host of players in the one million below mark are still uh, are in their UFA situation, but we mentioned Gaudreau. He's got an expiring cap hit of six point seven million dollars, and you've got to think he's going to hit a home run in free agency. The the key here for Calgary is that do they want to spend eight, nine, maybe ten million to retain him, or do they wave bye bye and put that money to use elsewhere? It's, it's looking like this, this could be a one-and-done situation if uh, things go offside and they lose Gaudreau. Uh, that's a big hole for this team to fill in my estimation. Yeah, absolutely.
1: In Chicago, uh, they have a lot of holes to fill throughout their lineup. Um, let's start with the fact that it's just such a top-heavy team in terms of offensive production. You've got Kane, Debrincat, Seth Jones, uh, and then after that, like you're you're already down in terms of point totals to 43 with Dylan Strom. Uh, I like the Brandon Hagel addition. I, I think that's um, or Brandon Hagel went the other way. They traded him away. Never mind. Um, and then you get to Jonathan Taves at, at 31 points. Like there's just nobody else that can really produce for them. Uh, the next closest defenseman is Jake McCabe at 18 points. I mean, you've got Seth Jones at 47 than McCabe at 18. Um, they tried to at least briefly address the goaltending situation on a short-term fix this year um, with bringing in Marc-Andre Fleury. That didn't really work out. Fleury has been now traded on to bigger and better things. Um, and I just think this team doesn't have the depth uh, to, to go, you know, to the next step here right now. Um, they need to kind of figure out. You look at their bottom six right now. There's some guys with some potential, but it, that's all it is right now. It's potential. Can they make the next step? Kirby Doc, Lucas Reichel, Sam Lafferty, uh, Reese Johnson, Mackenzie Entwistle. Like all these guys need to make the next step. Same thing on the blue line: uh, A- Alec Regula, uh, Alex Vlasic. Like, can they make the next step? And then I think they need to address goaltending. I don't think Lincoln is the answer. Um, I don't think Colin Delia is either. So um there's there's a lot of things that Chicago still needs to figure out um you know compared to the other team I talked about with Anaheim I would feel a lot more uh
0: optimistic if I were a Ducks fan than if I were a Hawks fan right now and I think there's a similar narrative here with one exception in Columbus AJ and I'll lead with that I wonder what happens with Patrick Laine he's their team's leading scorer but that's a paltry 56 points. He only played 55 games, so it's a point-of-game pace marred by injury, but 26 goals, 30 assists. I mean, it's a fine year. Minus five on a team that's a non-playoff team, also decent, but he was drafted in the same year as Austin Matthews and for a time was thought to be the equal, and I think there's a gulf of distance between the two at the moment. And also in terms of the attitude of this guy, he's got a chance, he's a pending RFA AJ at the end of the season and uh, expi- expiring 7.5 million dollar cap hit so Columbus has their hands full if they're looking to entice him to come back it's going to cost them more than seven and a half I think and I wonder if they're going to shy away from that and allow him to seek greener pastures and, and which teams might look that way well I, I could think of a handful and we wonder if Montreal would take a look they need certainly need a signature player they have some cap space and are looking for more scoring. So you wonder if, if he would be energized by going to a team like that. Uh, I know Montreal will be spending in the offseason, so maybe this is a player that they look at. But uh, that's really the headline news in Columbus. And in the Nets, they may allow Eunice Korpisalo to leave. He's on the an expiring $2.8 million cap hit, and they've committed long-term to Elvis Merzlikens. I love the fact that they tied up uh, Zach Wierenski long-term but his cap hit kicks in at a $9.5 million price tag next year. They need to surround him with more talent. Otherwise, that's going to look like a bad contract very soon. And one guy that helps on the blue line, they've got good value out of that, Vladislav Gavrikov. I've been talking about this guy as an improving defenseman in the second half of the year. And he's closed the gap on Wierenski in terms of uh, what was the gulf between the best and the next best defenseman on this club so at least that's something positive jake bean is another guy that they're counting on they've locked him up for a few years so i think they've done some nice things on the blue line but i have lots of questions up front they paid 8.25 million on a contract hit to jacob jacob voracek he's had a nice year assist wise but he hasn't hit the 10 goal mark and that contract doesn't look great when you project to the future as he gets a year older he'll be 33 next year and i don't expect him to replicate the number of assists that he did this year so uh, he's going to need to find the net with more regularity to make that a better contract Gustav Nyquist is a guy who's led this team in scoring uh, in years past and started to come on in the second half they need him to start the season on time to get better work out of him ditto for Oliver Bjorkstrand but and Jack Roslavik has made a name for himself out here so he's probably one of the happier guys in that dressing room and maybe Cole Sillinger is another guy that will be and they count on him for future. So they got some pieces. They need to add many more. But the big question, what happens to Patrick Laine?
1: For Colorado, we'll switch back to a playoff team here. Um, they continue to just rack up wins. They're, they're riding uh, riding high right now on a seven-game winning streak. Uh, they've got 112 points right now just ahead of Florida. Um, so definitely, I think the favorites for the president's trophy, um, but we'll, you know, we'll see if if Florida can kind of track them down in the last, you know, nine, 10 games here. Actually, they both have nine games left, um, you know, and and the impressive part is they're doing it without Gabriel Landeskog, who's been out for a while, without Nazem Kadri, um, who's been out not quite as long. And even defensively, like Ryan Murray has been out of the lineup. That's that's not a huge loss for them, given the makeup of their team. Um, but you never want to have a, a, you know, defenseman of his caliber, um, sidelined. And Paul, it was interesting. You were talking about, you know, where Insky's contract is going to kick in and he'll be making 9.5. Uh, he would be the most expensive player on this, uh, this avalanche roster. They have really managed to avoid, um, any bad contracts. Now, they're about they're uh, about a year away from having to re-sign Nathan McKinnon. That's going to cost a lot, <laughs> to be sure. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, they've got uh, Rantanen and Landeskog are both locked up on long-term deals. So they've avoided having to pay out too much for those guys. And, and really a credit to Joe Sackick and, and how they've built this um, this team around that elite core. This is a really deep team. Um, that has some nice pieces in in hand and I, you know, I think anything less than I'll say the Stanley cup final. I, I, if they don't win, I think you would still call it a good year if they make it to the finals, but if they were to like lose the Western conference final, I think that would be a disappointing season for them. They've just been so far ahead of the rest of the league for a lot of this season um, that, that I think anything less would be disappointing even with kind of the injuries they've dealt with, especially leading up to the postseason. But by all indications, Landeskog and Kadri should be back for a playoff run.
0: And AJ in Dallas, it's uh, there's two sides to this coin in Dallas. They certainly are in contention for a playoff and may, may have a run in them, uh, but it's contingent on, I think the second line of, and I'm focusing on my attention on Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. These guys are at the top of the food chain in terms of the salaries that they command from this club. And I'll get to the downside of this shortly, but they got a chance to really deliver here in support of a first line that's been a real revelation this season. Jake, Jason Robertson and uh, Rupe Hance have had fine progress in their careers as young players, but they've partnered and be- really benefited from Joe Fawelski, who's found the fountain of youth here and had an ex- exceptional season. So this is clearly the top line here in Dallas and uh, that second line needs to come through. And Dennis Gurianov should be a beneficiary playing with these two veterans, but let's talk about that downside, AJ. Uh, they, those two guys, they're on a cap hit that combines for over $19 million and they're not producing anywhere near that. So, uh, and they're both on the books. Well, Sagan is on the books for five more seasons starting next year and Ben for three more. And they're both on the wrong side of 30, albeit they'll be 31 and 33 respectively. So they're still in the relative prime of their careers, but they have some answering to do if they don't do a lot better offensively than they did this, this year. And I mentioned last week that Braden Holtby probably would be shut down. In fact, he has been, AJ. So uh, he shouldn't factor into the goaltending mix year, this year. He's on an expiring deal. And uh, they have Ben Bishop, who probably won't play another game in the league. He'll probably stay on LTIR next year on his expiring four million nine. 100,000 cap hit. So Jake Ottinger will be a part of this mix. I expect he's an RFA who's done enough this season to be merit being resigned here, coming off an expiring $925,000 hit. He's going to need a big-time raise. And I'll suggest this. Scott Wedgwood has been a surprise so far in the games that I've seen for Dallas, showing me enough that they could make a play for him to resign there. If they really believe in Ottinger, they might – Sign him to a bigger deal, 3 $4 million a year maybe is what he can expect uh, on the high side, I'll say. And then you're looking for a cheap second guy. Well, Wedgwood may have done enough to show that he's worthy of that unless they decide to go shopping elsewhere. And they certainly have the latitude financially to do so because apart from those two big contract hits their next guy is Pavelski. He comes back at $5.5 $5 million, so saving $1.5 million there. He's got $7 million as the cap hit this year. And then, uh, Miro Heiskanen is on the book for books for big bucks at 8.45 million. After that, Esselin Dell's next most expensive at 5.8. So they got some latitude to do some shopping. They'll be shedding a salary in Alexander Radulov as well. That $6.25 million cap hit is going to like, likely be gone. And I don't think he's going to get a job in the NHL next year on the next, uh, that's a 36-year-old whose game has really fought, fallen off dramatically here. So they're hopeful they have a playoff running in this year, but there'll be changes next year.
1: Well, Paul, I wanted to just uh, bring up the, the point you made that that Ben and Sagan weren't really worth their price tags right now. Um, according to our friends over at Cat, Cat Friendly, they cost approximately $240,000 per point this season. Now, that's not the worst on this team, uh, but it's certainly on the, the lower or the more expensive half. So here's my proposal to Dallas. I'll suit up in a game <laughs> or a game or two. Um, it probably won't go super well. But if I get a point, you give me $240,000 and we'll just call it even. If I don't score, you don't have to pay me. It's no risk to the stars. Um, but if I can get a point, it should be worth $240,000. So that, that's that's my
0: proposal uh, to the Dallas Star. Oh, I want to work on a publicity stunt right now, man. I'm gonna <laughs> try and make this happen. I would, I would pay big money to see that.
1: <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna plant myself in front of the goalie and just hope something tips in off my <laughs> face, if if even. Um, so, look, we'll we'll move on. We'll talk about Detroit. Um, this is another team to feel really optimistic about. You look at their their top six in terms of scoring are Larkin, Bertuzzi, Raymond, Sider, Ronick, and Sutter. And then you look at the ages of these guys, and only one of them in Bertuzzi is even over 25. Larkin is 25, Sutter's is 25, Raymond is 20, Sider is also uh, is 21, Philip Ronick is 24. Like, this is a young young team that has all the players I think to really develop into something in terms of the skaters now you get to the blue line or the goaltending rather the the blue paint I meant I'm not sold on Nadelkovic I would like to see more out of him but if he can develop into a you know a little bit more consistent goalie he's only 26 uh you know Grice and Picard uh, aren't aren't going to be huge factors there for, for the long term. But this is a young, up-and-coming team that I really think um, is going to be able to, to do something next year. They're going to get a decent amount of money off the books. Their Franz Nielsen buyout um, drops dramatically to the point where it's almost a non-factor next season. They're retaining salary for this year on Nemesikoff and Nick Letty. Both of those will be off the books as well. Um, so they should be able to maybe go out. Uh, Danny DeKaiser, I don't know if he's worth resigning, especially not at at 30, you know, 32 years of age for $5 million. Maybe if he would take a discount, um, you know, so they're, they're going to save some salary. They already have a decent amount of cap. I mean, as it stands, they have like 11 million in space. They'll be even closer. So there's a core here to build around in Detroit. And I, I, I think they're getting close to having all the pieces in place to start being considered a potential playoff team here. I, I like what they're building. I like what they're doing. Um, again, I'll, I'll point to the other teams I've talked about this one, the one I'm probably most optimistic about. You have a stud center and Dylan Larkin, um, you know, who, who can be, you know, your captain, your linchpin, you have young and up and coming pieces around him add a few more bits and pieces here in free agency with what they're able to spend this year. And I, I think this could be a really good team next season.
0: Well, the Edmonton Oilers are hoping that they have a playoff run in this year and they'll answer some questions in the offseason. So that's where their focus is going to be for now. And it's going to be how far can the, the duo of McDavid and Dryside will take these guys? They built two forward lines, two very good-looking forward lines around them. And, I mean, you imply that you would play somewhere. I wouldn't mind playing on the wing with either of those these two guys because they've made Evander Kane look good, Zach Kassian. Uh, Zach Hyman has had a nice year. Cool Yarby has had a comeback season of sorts. Haller Yamamoto, I'll call him a work in progress who's shown flashes. So their top six, six is okay. Ryan Nugent Hopkins needs to stay healthy for this team, AJ. That's the short strokes for me uh, um, in looking at this team they played their best hockey when he's been healthy and he looks to be healthy right now so hopefully that continues on defense I have a lot of questions though Darnell Nurse his big contract kicks in next year and I think they've overpaid on three other guys who get regular turns here Duncan Keith Cody Ceci and Tyson Berry are on the books for big dollars. They got to see what they can squeeze out of them this year, because I think it might be their best chance in the near term to be competitive. And uh, one more bad season of performances will really uh, be in the nose of one Connor McDavid. And you wonder if he will pull the trigger on an ultimatum for this club sooner rather than later. So really a lot hanging in the balance here. Uh, you talk about a team that needs a good long playoff run. Edmonton needs it probably more than anybody in the league right now. And uh, failing that, there'll be some big changes here. Or they'll try to make some big changes, but they've got to solve things in goal. The tandem of Mike Smith and Nico Koskinen, it was a mistake to start this season with these two guys. And I mean, the commitment on uh, Smith certainly... Uh, expires at the end of this uh, next year at only $2.2 2 million. That's not so bad. But Miko Koskinen comes off the books for $4.5 million. They got to find a guy that maybe they make a play for a Jack Campbell and see if they can outbid the Maple Leafs for his services or something like that to to give them a better look in the Nets. But they've got to find an answer back there or else things are going to be in trouble, I think.
1: Well, to your point, Paul, like I have no idea why – Somebody let their GM sign Koskinen to that contract, that three-year, thirteen and a half million-dollar deal. When they like, they fired him like a week later. Yeah, after signing yeah. that deal, it was it was the strangest thing in the world. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just a, a bit of mismanagement, and boy, would the people of Edmonton just be utterly just—I I don't even know—like to see this story play itself out again. Like all-star, world-class player. Bails because organization poorly run, like our, we're talking about the exact same story again um, for Edmonton fans, and and that would just be so brutal. So hopefully they can figure it out. Hopefully you know McDavid is willing to stick it out and and make things work. But well, I'll, as you said, a lot will depend on the postseason here. In Florida, uh, look, eight wins in a row for them. Uh, like I said, it is a dogfight for the President's Trophy between the Panthers and the, the Avs here. I would imagine at some point here we're going to see some guys start to get at rest once the, like, one seeds are locked up. And I think Colorado's getting pretty close. They've got 13 points on, on Calgary. Um, Flames have... Nine games left, so it's it's getting close. Similarly, Florida—they um, don't have as big of a lead. They've only got six points on Carolina, so they might have to play their stars a little bit longer if they want to, you know, lock up home ice in the in the East here. But you know, for all we talk about Colorado's offense, um, Florida is the ones that actually lead the league in goal differential at, at plus eighty nine. Here, I mentioned Huberto off the uh, off the top. Just a phenomenal season by him, um, and but there's other guys here that continue to to chip in points. Sam Reinhardt had four points this last week. Alexander Barkov had four assists. Um, they're they're really just a deep, deep, well rounded team. You you know you wish they would get uh, Eric Ekblad back a little bit sooner, but it does sound like he should be able to return for the postseason. That'll be a huge boost to their blue line. Um, and, and if there's anything like the blue line's been really solid, but if you have a knock on it, it's that they don't have a kind of top guy like that. Well, they could come the postseason. So this, this is going to be a very difficult team to beat, especially with that addition of Claude Giroux at, at the deadline.
0: And up next, we talk about the L.A. Kings. I mean, we both thought that they would be a contending team in this division, and they had not let us down. And uh, it's, it comes at a time when a couple of peeps that are going to fall off here. So, again, this is a team that's going to look to make some noise if they can, but they have to be pleased with what they've got out of some players. Philip DeNoa has been a real find for me over here. We knew he was a strong defensive forward, but he's chipped in with 23 goals uh, as part of his 47 points this season on 12. We expected a plus record for him, but the goals have been a surprise for me, as well as the total points 47. That's uh, pretty close to career best for him in terms of points, but definitely career best in goal scoring, so congratulations to him on that. Victor Arvidsson, if he could stay a little bit healthier, would, would be even higher than his point total of 44. And that he's been another service. He's a nice addition. 20 20 goals has been reached already for him. We've seen Alexia follow kind of tread water on what he did last year, which was assert himself as a top six forward. Dustin Brown, probably reaching the end of the line, AJ, coming in with 27 points and on an expiring deal, a longtime leader for this team is going to fly right off into the sunset uh, as he uh, Ends the cap hit of 5.875 million on his existing deal at 37 years of age. He's done enough to call it a career and leave it to the next group to carry the flag in LA and that contract plus the ones for Alex Edler and Oli Mata will remove about $12 million from the books here. They have some draft picks. They have shown some developments on the back end that offer encouraging signs. Sean Dersey has played extremely well since getting a regular shift back here and Tobias, Tobias Bjornfoot also looking like he uh, is going to be a fixture. They're both still uh, on their entry-level deals though, Jersey will need a a bump because he's going to be an RFA in the summer, but Bjornfoot has one more year on his deal. Matt Roy on the books for $3.1 million looks to be a centerpiece alongside Drew Doughty, who is going to finish the season on the sidelines. Doughty's on the books for $11 million for the next five years. So he's going to be overseeing the rebuild on the fly in his presence alongside Anse Kopitar, who's had a nice year for $10 million. In between those two deals, they've got over $21 million committed, but they have some gaps between those two guys and the next level of uh, compensation on their roster, so all is not lost there. Despite those two big deals, and we'll see whether they go spending in the off season. Jonathan Quick, one more year at five point eight million dollars, and it's worth noting Cal Peterson's deal at five million dollars kicks in next season, so he has to do more than he did this year to merit that uh, not being an albatross for this club.
1: Well, for Minnesota, look, this is a playoff team. They had a really good week. Um, they have really stumbled on some maybe not stumbled. it's not the right word, but put together something here in the goalie tandem, having Talbot and flurry going every other night since since flurry joined the team and uh, have absolutely just been rolling with those two guys. Um, my assumption would be. They would switch to a one goalie, uh, you know, one goalie kind of thing in the the postseason. But with how well this is working, maybe they would continue to go every other night. Um, If they did pick one goalie, like you have to imagine, like Fleury's got the three Stanley Cup championships. So you'd imagine he'd be in the lead. But, um, you know, Talbot's been so good, it it, it would be hard to keep him out of the net. But look, the one, the big thing I want to talk about for about Minnesota. Um, is what has been uh, dubbed uh, in, in some circles as the, quote, bird fund. Uh, and that is that uh, Ryan Hartman uh, gave the, the middle finger to uh, Edmonton Oilers Vander Kane, who does not have a lot of fans around the league. He was fined uh, $4,250 for that act by, by the NHL and was quoted afterwards after the game before the fine was issued that it would be well worth it um for for doing that uh so minnesota fans had found hartman's uh uh venmo account and have been sending him money uh to pay for the fine now obviously ryan hartman doesn't need the money um so but it does look like $6000 in donations has been raised uh, through this this incident, which he's going to donate to the Children's Hospital of Minnesota. So great on, on Hartman for doing that. I think the best part of this story, though, um, is the fact that of the people who paid for Hartman to flip off Evander Kane was Evander Kane's ex-wife, who uh, I reportedly had seen donated like $200 um, to this fund. So um, look, it's going to charity. It's all good there. Um, he's probably not the first nor the last person to give Evander Kane the middle finger. Um, so, just a fun kind of viral story that's come out of Minnesota recently.
0: And in Montreal, we have talked at length about how poor the season has gone. Poorly the season has gone for this club, and uh, the storylines in the off season are going to be huge. I think what happens with Carey Price. What happens with Jeff Petrie? This guy's come back to the lineup in recent weeks and looked okay. But okay is not good enough when your cap hits 6.25 million for the next three years and you're 35 years old when next season starts on a team that's rebuilding. That's not a good look. David Savard, $3.5 million. That seems a bit high for what he's given this club, too. So that could be looked at as a bit, bit of a mistake. Ditto for Joel Edmondson on the back end. So don't like the three contracts, the three big contracts on the blue line. That's going to get in the way of this rebuild, I do think, uh, because I don't see the value coming from any of those three players. Up front, Josh Anderson has got the Cy Young year going on, 18, 17 goals, 10 assists, and he's in uh, hibernation mode a lot of the time. And the games that I'm watching, he, he doesn't seem to engage. That's not a good look for a guy who's getting five and a half million million dollars. Brendan Gallagher, a warrior on this club, six point five million dollars though for a guy who's now a third line player. I, I would suggest uh, also not a good look for this club. So there are some mistakes that have to be rectified contract wise, if possible, and uh, room made for the the lots of draft picks of this team is going to have over the next couple of years. And so they got to find a way to shed money before they turn things around. But step one is going to be what happens with carry price this offseason. Do we even see him before the end of the regular season? That might be the only co- reason to make a comment on this team uh, uh, in year seven of our show. Well, in New Jersey, uh, similar question marks about the, the
1: goaltending situation, obviously with Mackenzie Blackwood and Jonathan Bernier, a sideline for significant chunks of the year they've had to rely on on guys who should have otherwise been been playing in the minors so um you know Blackwood has dealt with some injuries throughout his his early career that would be a concern for me long term here with with this club uh they obviously have had injuries this year to uh you know Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Miles Wood um you know, the the big albatross, too, in terms of contract, P.K. Subban making nine million dollars, that'll come off the books. So that's a step in the right direction for them. And I think we'll really free them up heading into the, the off season here. Um, they've got some questions that need to be answered, though. That money is not going to last very long when you consider, you know, wood. Jasper Brett, Pavel Zaka, all these guys need uh new contracts. They're going into RFA years. Uh Jasper Boquist is is another player there um that they, they need to get uh you know signed to to a new deal here. So I don't think we'll see any changes to the goaltending tandem next year just based on contract status. Um, but really the change will be that potentially Blackwood and Bernier would be healthy. Um so we'll we'll kind of see how that rolls out for them. But I think that's the biggest issue is like getting that Subban contract off the books. You know, they've got some guys in, in Kevin Ball, Ty Smith, who are up and coming that I think would benefit from some more play time. They've got a ton of younger guys um, in, amongst their forward complement. I mean, their average age for forwards on the roster right now is 24.2. Um, and, and that includes like a guy like Jimmy VC who is technically skewing that older at, at 28. And then Thomas Tatar is, is 31. I mean, that's the old side of, of that roster. So they're a young team. They, they've got some issues to address, partly through injury. And I would like a, a better look at what this team could look like uh, if Mackenzie Blackwood could stay healthy for a whole season.
0: AJ, in Nashville, we're looking. I'm looking at a team that's had four or five players have their career best seasons and in a couple of cases, stark rebounds from a trajectory that we had painted for them over the last few that kind of make their contracts look more palatable. I'm talking about Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson who are uh, combined for each of them getting $8 million this season and actually for the next three. In fact, Duchesne's on the book for four more years. And at the beginning of the season, those look like terrible deals. But with the production that they've given this club this year, I think they might take a repeat of of these numbers when you consider Duchesne has 75 points and uh, Ryan Johansson has 57 points. And uh, those are approaching totals that you might pay this kind of money for. I'm still thinking that Johansson would like to do a little bit better than 57 points for his 8 million, but they got no quarrel with what Matt Duchesne's given them, 38 goals, 75 points, plus 8 on the season. So that's looking a lot better. They're led by the guy that I think has still got a shot uh, at being the first 100-point defenseman in the NHL in the last 20 years in Roman Yossi, and that's quite a story. He leads the team also, second on the team with a plus 22, showing you that he's been their leader at both ends of the ice. They've got tremendous work out of, of uh, UC Saros, who's shown everybody that he can be a uh, number one goalie in the league. He was given that assignment with the re- retirement of Pekka Rennie last year. So good news at forward and in net. And we've all know, always known this would be a defense factory, and they've still got a lot, a lot of prospects. they still got the stable, Matthias Ekholm on the blue line, Dante Favreau's taking the next step, and they're hoping that Jeremy Lozan can stay healthy and Mark Borowicki the same thing. So uh, all is not lost here beyond this season in Nashville. And I think they have a a chance to be a team that nobody really wants to face in the playoffs with uh, a lot of good pieces in place. And uh, Tyler Genoa is another guy that is worth, Tanner Genoa is another guy that's worth mentioning as having a fine rookie season and fits the mold of this team. They play it hard, they play it physical, and nobody wants to play against a very hard physical team. That's what makes this team a scary proposition for me this playoff season. Well, I'm going to
1: assume that we were both like, you know, uh, inebriated or, or impaired in some way when we did the central division preview, because we both had Nashville finishing seventh in this division. Um, I, I, I I kind of want to go back and listen as, as to why. Um, I do think it's because they're a bit of a unheralded team. Um, there, There's nobody – other than I mean Yossi's having a great year, but like there wasn 't anybody on this team that you thought was like really going to have necessarily a breakout year um, that has not been the case they 've been phenomenal, but uh, for both of us have to have landed at Nashville on seven, I assumed I was going to be the only one, but when I looked back, I saw we both landed there, um, so i 'm going to assume that we were you know, not in the right
0: state of mind uh, when we did that preview. I'm going to uh, say, if I may interject before you get into the next club, I'm going to say that a lot to do with, with their success has been the turnaround with those two guys that I highlighted. If they were going to the same two years out of those two guys that we've seen in the past, they might have been a seventh-place team. And That's
1: uh, that's fair. That's a very good point. Um, speaking of unheralded clubs, we'll go to the New York Islanders next. Um You know, again, I look at this roster, I've been saying this for weeks, I'm just not sure exactly why this team is so far, you know, down. Um, You know, I guess you look at their goal differential, is sitting at exactly zero, 200 goals for, 200 goals against. And you compare that to the rest of the Metro, like even the clubs behind them in the standings in Columbus and New Jersey, have more goals for them. In fact, the Flyers are right there at at 190. So if I guess you have to pin it on something, it has to be the offense, right? Um, The goaltending appears to have been okay, not stand out, not phenomenal. Um, So then you look, you know, who has scored for them? Matthew Barzell only has 14 goals this year. Brock Nelson, 33 goals, a, a good season for him. Anders Lee with 25. Um, you know, you could definitely point to Pajot with only 36 points in seven games. That's not really good enough for for a player of his caliber. Um, Kyle Palmieri under 30 points, Zach Parisi just above. So really just, just not a lot of offense coming out of this team. And and ultimately, I think that is what sunk them. They're still defensively sound. Uh, the tandem of Sorokin and Varlamov has had Ups and downs, but for the most part, I think they've been okay this year. Sorokin, especially the last couple of games, they've put him in, in more of a um, – they've given him two of the last three games. He's won both of those. They split a good, a good chunk of March or almost all of March. They kind of went every other. So uh, I would like to see what happens to him if he makes the next step next year and then figuring out who can score goals. Do they need to bring somebody else in to do that? Or can one of these players on their roster step it up next season and, and contribute? Because ultimately, I do think that's that's their biggest problem.
0: Well, the New York Rangers only a couple of seasons removed from uh, a famous letter that they wrote to their fan base saying there was going to be pain uh, for a couple of years, just similar to what the Leafs did. And in both cases, the turnaround's been faster than expected. New York's a real contender this year, and it's largely on the strength of maybe the best one-two punch in net that we see when we look around the league. He versus Sturkin, We talked about him being on the fringe of the Hart trophy discussion, and certainly, and for my money, a, a lock, I think, for the Vezina in the trophy. We'll see how, how that goes. But behind him, Alexander Yorgev has been more than a serviceable backup. His goals against under three as well for his uh, appearances, something in the order of 25 so far this season. So uh, good performance from the goalie out. They have assembled a pretty nice-looking defense When you consider Keander Miller as starting to show some traction in his early career, Adam Fox and Jacob Truba, two of the better name recognition type Fox being in contention for the Norris, at least in your camp, AJ, I think he's a notch below, but not far uh, from some of the other big boys. And uh, they've got a guy in the, in their, in their junior uh, minor ranks, Braden Schneider, they keep an eye on. I think this guy's going to be a stud and a key part of this defense going forward. So they're, their back end is stable and in good shape for years to come, I do think. And then up front, they continue to get what they get from their star players. Mika Zibanejad, one of the top uh, top six guys every year in, year out. Give it, You can punch him in for 70, 80 points at least. And then uh, same thing with Artemi Panarin, Merit's considerations, one of the top 10 skaters among the forwards in the league and done it again this year. They each anchor a line. They got a career season out of Chris Kreider, So, uh, Uh, Andrew Kopp's been a nice addition at the trade deadline to solidify their top six. And uh, they've got a good look there in terms of the top, top six players. Capo Caco back in the fold with a vengeance, got two goals last week. So things are humming along for New York right now. And I think the best is yet to come for this team, whether or not they make noise in this postseason.
1: For Ottawa, I think kind of two keys here. The first, you know, we always hate to blame things on injury, but Thomas Shabbat has been on IR for a while um, and, and they lost uh, Drake Batherson for a really good chunk of the year. Josh Norris missed a significant amount of time. Um, Matt Murray uh, was supposed to be their, their goaltender uh, solution as well. Um, His play in some ways wasn't great, even when he was healthy, whether they have something in Anton Forsberg moving forward will be kind of the, the answer to that. But I think, I really like the addition of Matthew Joseph at, at the deadline. I thought he was a good pickup for them. In fact, you look at his numbers on the year, very limited number of games. It's hard to break into that Tampa lineup, but in 11 games this season, he's got 12 points. I mean, that's, you can't really beat that right. In, in terms of limited action. So I'd like to see more out of him. Stootsley definitely continues to develop Batherson to Chuck um, Norris as well. So there's, there's pieces in place here for this team to get over the hump. I think the biggest question, again, um, as it tends to always be, is the goaltending. I don't love the makeup of their blue line. I didn't like the Travis Hamanick deal, as everybody knows. Um, I could use maybe a little bit more depth in terms of the forward complement but, like, you look at their top six right now. Now, Mat- Matthew Joseph's going to miss out tonight due to an injury. But before that, you had Joseph Norris to Chuck on one line, Formanton, Stutzley, and Batherson on another. That's a young group that I, I think shows some serious promise moving forward. Um, and I, I think this could be another team to watch next season. Playoff bound, going to be tough in the Atlantic to, to break into that top four. Um, but it's certainly not outside of the, the realm of
0: possibility. And uh, in Philadelphia, they solved their goalie problems. They're great on defense. Wait a minute. no, That, that has not happened. <laughs> you know what? We thought Carter Hart was going to be the answer. He's now going to finish the season on the IR after posting a, a save percentage of just barely over 90% and goals against over three per game. Those aren't good numbers for a number one goalie with his pedigree. And I'm certain that certainly not going to put it all on him. I think the quality of... The, the team around him is certainly a work in progress and needs to be improved dramatically. I think they made an error in judgment in terms of the con- some of the contracts they've handed out here. Don't like the deal for Rasmus Ristolainen coming in at five five million plus for the next five years kicking in. It was expiring at 5.4. He took a bit of, bit of a haircut, only 300,000, but 5.1 on the books for each of the next five years for a guy who delivers next to nothing offensively. He's really fallen off. As an offensive, he certainly blocks shots and delivers hits. He's a big physical guy, but they'd like to see more of the offensive game return for him. And ditto maybe for Ivan Progorov, who had a very subpar year for him. And he comes in at a $6.75 million. So for the money they're paying these guys, they got to get more out of them. And uh, they should be carrying some of the offensive mail. Uh, they're going to see uh, Keith Yandel come off the books, though it was for a $900,000 cap hit. So big deal there, nothing wrong. Kevin Connaughton, another veteran guy who didn't really pan out for $825. They've got to really improve the the structure on the back end here, and I don't know that there's help on the way. Cam York is a guy that's been getting a look now and and really hasn't raised a lot of eyebrows. only 21 years old, so you hope that there's better than what he's shown so far. I'm happy to see Morgan Frost get a bit of a look here. Uh, Recently, a first-round pick, and they're counting on him to join Gerald Faraby in a a new look top six. Kevin Hayes had a troubled season with the – the death of his brother uh certainly ruining his mindset as one might expect and so this was a season you could expect him to punt uh, on and uh, hopefully he comes back healthier and in a better mental state next year to earn that 7.1 million dollars and feel good about it but uh i think he just needs to uh, uh to put this season behind him and have a fresh start uh James Van Riemsdyk continuing to score, but I don't know if you pay a 20-goal score or $7 million, and he's th- going to be 33 next year, so one more year on that deal. Then you're looking for Cam Atkinson and Travis Konechny to really take a step forward in terms of their level of production. It's been wanting. Ditto for maybe Scott Lawton. That's, that's kind of the next wave of flyer centerpieces that really need to deliver more than they did this year but they got to get more um, better production out of their net minding and that's squarely on the shoulders of uh, of their star uh, carter hart who has to be better than he was this season with that aj we're going to take a bit of a break here though uh, before you get lathered up about your pittsburgh penguins i know this morning you gave a, a hint that you weren't too happy with what's gone gone on there i can't wait to see and hear what you have to say about them but We'll wait for those pearls of wisdom. You're listening to Rotowire's Podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: All right, we're back, but uh, let's have another reminder for ways to get our listeners engaged with us during the course of the week. Remember, we'd love to hear from you and your trophy winners. Uh, I'm going to pass it on to AJ to send that reminder.
1: Yeah, of course. As always, we welcome your comments and questions. We welcome your criticisms, your opinions, whatever whatever you uh, might think about our show or what, what we're saying. Um, we love interacting with everybody over on Twitter, you can find me at AJ 24 You can find Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. As always, look out. You know, if you're if you're on Twitter in the in the mornings, look out for us both retweeting the links to the DraftKings show. You can get our opinions on on that, on that show. If you like other sports content, honestly, that's a great spot to be. They cover all kinds of other stuff over there: MLB, NBA, NFL, a little bit of golf as well. So it's definitely. A fun show to check out. But of course, you know, we encourage you to stay tuned for our segments uh, when we are on there.
0: And AJ, we've become must listen uh, radio and TV over there. I think uh, we're giving out great advice. People are making a lot of money. And I think they're they're finding a good level of of entertainment. Certainly the DraftKings uh, producers are letting us know on a regular basis that they love the work that we've been doing over there. We encourage you to take a look and uh, bear in mind that we're going to be able to have you see us in a few weeks when we change our platform as well. So uh, a lot of good things happening for you and I in this space. And we uh, owe a debt of gratitude, or gratitude to our listeners for uh, helping us pave that way. I'm going to throw to you now and tell me what's the state of affairs in Pittsburgh.
1: I'm just so fed up with this freaking team, Paul. Um, I want to oh, use other words. I want to use stronger language, but let's keep this a, oh. a not explicit show. Um, but look, I mean, you you look at our last couple of games, if you want to give them some leeway for dropping two against the Rangers, two against Colorado, um, Washington, like you could, you could give them a little bit of a break on that. But at the end of the day, if you consider yourself a playoff caliber team, you should have picked up one of those games against the Rangers, um, Maybe even one against Colorado, like the home game against Colorado, maybe you should have won that. Um, the fact that they've got one win in their last five games is just super disappointing. Um the shootout loss to the Islanders hurts as well. They'll they'll play the Islanders again tonight. Like um and and you can make excuses, you know, that they've they've had Jason Zucker hasn't been able to stay healthy, he's been in and out of the lineup. Melkin lost his freaking mind the other day and cross checked a guy in the face and he'll miss three more games. Um and it's just, you know, the, the giveaways have been really high in my opinion. Um setting up the other team for odd man rushes, stuff like that. So they haven't done their goalies any favors. Um and you know neither goalie has has stood on his head either. It's it's not all not all the fault of, of the skating group. The goalies could have played better. Um, so yeah, just overall, I'm I'm pretty disappointed. Um, probably the least, and I've I've probably said this before, but in recent memory, it's the least optimistic I've been heading into a postseason for a while. Now, of course, as any Penguins fan will tell you, um, Crosby is still on the roster. So at the end of the day. Um, can we win a series? Could we win multiple series? Could we make it all the way to the cup? As long as you have Sidney Crosby on your roster, I absolutely think that's still a possibility. Um, but I'm I'm definitely not feeling great about our chances. Not in the way I was just a few you know a few short weeks ago. If you had asked me at the start of March, you know we had wins over Tampa, um, wins over Vegas and Carolina, uh, St. Louis in there as well. Like these are playoff caliber teams that we we're beating at the start of March, and and I felt definitely a lot better. But uh, the pessimism has settled in pretty strongly here in the Scholes household uh, with, you know, just like two weeks, three weeks left in the – or two weeks left in the regular season.
0: Well, AJ, let me, let me give you something to feel good about and our listeners something to chomp on because I think there's still time for your team to turn it around. And the dream scenario that I have is that they fall a little bit in their division to fourth place. And they become the crossover team and come over to the Atlantic Division, playing the first-place Florida Panthers, beat them, and face the Leafs in the second round. I would love <laughs> to see that. It would be a ratings bonanza for our show. I promise our listeners we would have such a good time with that. And I, I'm glad I, I can hear you laughing because I wanted to put a smile on your face, and that's the best way that I can think of to, to do it. And uh, Which brings me now to the Seattle Kraken. They hopefully put a smile on the faces of some of their first-year fans, and they've delivered a so-so season, probably under the pressure of the Vegas success early on. Hard to measure them in that same way, but some good things are happening here, and a very smart bit of business this past week. Matty Matty Beneers, their first round pick in the draft last year, is only 19 years old. He's had a fine season in junior. They left him alone to develop, and now what did they do? They brought him up, And they didn't bring him up to play fourth-line minutes, AJ. How many times have we talked about young players coming up for their first cup of coffee and they play seven minutes a game on the fourth line? Big whoop. This guy's got a real chance to show his wares. Mind you, it's in a low-pressure situation, so maybe that helps big time. But they slotted him in as a first-line center. And they've got him playing with Ryan Donato and Jordan Eberle. And guess what? He got a point. He's feeling good about his game. He's had some good early reviews. Congratulations to the Seattle franchise for doing it right by this youngster. I think he's going to be a centerpiece for this team for years to come. And he'll get to work with the likes of, of uh, pros like Ber- uh, Eberly and Donato to make that next step a good one, I think. And the, another smart bit of business, they rewarded a guy like a Jared McCann for being a good soldier and a guy who made good on an opportunity to showcase his skills where he was a third-line player much of the time in Pittsburgh. And uh, he's shown well enough to get that big raise and, and on merit too. So that's the way you do it from a, for an expansion roster. And I congratulate this team for those two bits of business. And, and I think uh, that's indicative of, of brighter days ahead. I don't think they have any salary cap albatrosses on this roster. Uh, certainly they want to keep their goaltending healthy. They would have liked to get a bit more out of Chris Grieger, but the pluses to me outweigh the minuses in the way the first year has gone here, despite the fact we won't see him in the playoffs like we did Vegas in year one.
1: Well, in San Jose, we're going to see a look at what a, you know, non Doug Wilson uh, run team looks like. And, you know, it was not uh, obviously encouraging. Paul, I don't know if you saw it, but Logan Couture, Eric Carlson, getting into it on the bench a little bit the yeah. other day. Um, you know, I, I saw two different takes on it. One saying uh, Couture was was out of line. He had just been the one responsible for, an, you know, a mistake that led to an empty net goal. The other talking about the fact that Carlson basically just quit for the last 15 seconds of the game. Wasn't uh, really playing hard enough. So, um, regardless of how you want to look at it, this team has some problems. I mean, Carlson's numbers are are not worthy of the fact that he's the most uh, most expensive player on this roster. Is eating up you know fourteen point one percent of their cap, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, Brent Brent Burns uh, also highly priced. He's still got three years left after this one, and he's 37 years of age. Like that, that contract doesn't feel like it's gonna, you know, age out well. Um, they're gonna have to figure out how to balance all of those books with the fact that Tomas Hurdle's deal jumps up next year. He goes from about 5.6 to 8.1. Um, there, there are a lot of question marks on this team. Their entire young core. It seems like needs new deals. John Leonard, Scott, uh, uh, not, not Scott Reedy, John Leonard, uh, Jonathan Dolan, Nola Greger, uh, uh, Gata J- Kovic. I'm going to guess, Jonah Gadovich. That one I'm sure I'm messing up. I apologize there. But a lot of their young players need new deals. The goaltending situation, James Reimer uh, entered the year as the starter you know, 34 years of age. Is Kapo Kakanen going to be the answer um, into the future after they they traded for him? Kevin LeBanc has been on, on injured reserve for a little bit, so they, they'll get him back. That'll be a good thing. Um, they're going to have to pay Martin Jones even more next year. His buyout uh, goes up over the next two seasons before dropping back down to still somewhat significant less, uh, uh, levels for, for three years after that. So they've got four more years of Marty Jones buyout deals. Like, the, the situation is not pretty in San Jose. They're, they're not a young team um, other than, you know, a handful of those players that I mentioned. But, you know, you've got three guys on the blue line that are over 30, eating up big, big money, if you include uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, who makes $7 mil a year. Um, so I'm not expecting things to go smoothly for this club heading into next season.
0: No, they've got some serious salary cap management issues over the next few years, and it's going to be a caretaker role. I hope they don't measure the next GM on on the basis of those next two or three years because they're going to be ugly as long as these big contracts are on the books. So anyway, we'll move on next to the St. Louis Blues, and this is a team that is, I think, primed to be a uh, a surprise in this postseason. I've been touting them that way they've got things in order in terms of their veteran forward group that is intact and fairly healthy with the exception of Tyler Bozak uh, not sure if he's going to make it back to the postseason at this point point. and on defense the same thing they're getting great work out of Justin Falk this year nice to see him reverting back to the form that he showed in his Carolina days he's per- performed very well at both ends of the rink but I'm happy to see his offensive game uh, come to the forefront here it's it's kind of a missing link to this team. And uh, Tory Krug is a guy that could take another positive step in that direction. I've seen him regress offensively from where he was in Boston. And in between, they've got Colton Pareko, who is uh, a big guy uh, who has big great skill at both ends of the ice. So they have the pieces here to do some damage in the postseason. It's a shame for me to report on the fact that Jordan Bennington will have a seat just like I will watching the St. Louis fortunes because they're going to clearly give Billy Huso lots of runway. He's earned the right as their goaltender, uh, number one goaltender this season. But it leads to probably a decision and a concern in the offseason. What happens to him uh, with uh, the fact they've committed $6 million a year for the next five years to Jordy? And uh, Willie Uso Huse- is going to need a new contract as a UFA coming off a $750,000 cafe. But they've got some noise to make in the postseason this year, and I think I wouldn't bet against them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do think this team can still um, you know, be be in the mix here. And and um I probably if I were a betting man, I I'm not sure I would be laying any odds on them, but certainly um they they should be in contention here. I'm just not, you know, in terms of like betting, Paul, I'm just not sure they'll get past Minnesota mm-hmm. as the matchups stand up right now. I'm I'm pretty high on on the wild heading into this one and Let's be honest, I'm not sure anybody's getting past Colorado in the West, but we'll jump back to the East and we'll go with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are trending towards being Toronto's first round uh, matchup. But with nine games remaining between Toronto, Tampa and Boston, there's still time for that to shuffle around Paul I, I'll get your opinion once I run through Tampa here, but I'm assuming you would rather play Boston in the first round here than than Tampa. But maybe maybe that's not the case. They have been struggling a little bit lately. The Lightning one one and one. The numbers from this last week, uh, really, you know the you look at it. Uh, Headman uh, and and uh, Kucherov and and Stamkos are are going to be the leaders on this team. No matter what, they're they're the guys that you're going to expect to carry the weight for them here. But the fact of the matter is you look at their last three games, it was Corey Perry with two points, Andre Palat with two points, uh, Stamkos with just one assist in those three games, same with Hedman. Um, so they need more out of those top talents. I love the acquisition, as I mentioned uh, mistakenly before, of, of Brandon Hagel here. I think he could be that kind of, piece that you need to add right before heading into the the postseason here there's a very deep team um they've got everything they could want and more in terms of net mining so despite the little bump in the road I, I would still feel pretty confident and if I were a Leafs fan I would be hoping maybe they have a few more stumbles here
0: and I can face Boston in the first round rather than the Lightning. You know what? If somebody put uh, put a gun to my head and made me choose, I think I'd go the same way just because the core guys on Boston are a year older. Certainly Tampa's are two, two, but you're talking about some real older players in Boston who've got a lot of miles on them. And I think, you know, look at the mileage that the Bolts have had on their players for the last two long playoff runs. Very hard to get three in a row hard to get two in a row and they did it so uh, i don't count the the defending champs out at all and they would be a tough out for the Leafs but i think the Leafs are gonna be a tough out too it's just indicative of how competitive the first round series are going to be right across the league this year i think there's going to be some competitive series and uh, the Maple Leafs they head into them with uh few concerns i'll say they're getting Campbell and Muzzin back in the lineup tonight Campbell has been uh Dealing with a lighter schedule, a little bit of minor bumps and bruises. But I think in the end it could be a good thing for him because he's going to definitely carry the load in the playoffs and need him to be healthy going in. And I love the fact that they got an eight-pack on defense uh, of experienced defensemen that they can rotate in and out. That's the hallmark of a a team that that can go on a long playoff run. You need that depth on the blue line. The Leafs have never had it before. And they've also never had a third line that can be a real pesky unit. Uh, they, They can skate like... With anybody, they've got good size and their special teams are on point. So there's lots to be happy about here with the Maple Leafs. It's just now looking forward to seeing what happens with uh, Austin Matthews. Does he get to the 60 goal mark? I think it's easily attainable, given that he only needs two. He might even get it tonight against Washington. And Mitch Marner going for 100 points. No, no Leaf team in history has both boast, uh, boasted two 100 point plus players in the same season. So there's some regular season milestones ahead, but. I'm so glad they're not playing non-playoff teams in the playoffs because their record against them is poor. They've done very well against the upper edge <laughs> of their league and I'm ready to see them take their chances there.
1: Well, in Vancouver, it was a season that I would come, you know, kind of summarize as like almost um, not impossible. They're six points back of Dallas, um, but obviously running out of time here and in, in terms of, of getting into that spot. But Again, this is if they don't make the playoffs, which I don't think they will. But, um, you know, if if that is the case, there's plenty of things to feel really good about in this season. An 86 point campaign by JT Miller. Absolutely phenomenal. Probably won't reach 100 since we're talking about 100 point guys. I don't think he has enough games left in there, but um, should, you know, easily he'll easily cruise to over a point per per game, which is great there um Elias Pettersson had some bumps along the road some stretches where he wasn't all that productive still gonna finish with north of 25 goals um Quinn Hughes not a ton of goals this year but certainly plenty of assists and, and 55 points Bo Hovrat very productive as well I think if you look at some disappointing things that maybe tip the iceberg away from them uh or tip the scales rather um away from them being a, a playoff team here Oliver Ekman Larson you need more than 24 points out of that guy for what he's earning. That's just, you know, the facts. Um, I thought they had a really good season from Thatcher Demko. Um, I would have liked to see them maybe not rely on Demko quite as much as they did here. I mean, 59 games played, 31 wins a- a- across that stretch. 2.67 was the goals against average. So really solid numbers. Um but I, w- I would have thought maybe with having Yaroslav Halak available as a the backup, they would have uh, lightened the load a little bit there. So they do have four wins in a row. The season's not over. They've got eight games left. Um, it's a pretty big hill to climb, but um, they're close. And I think, you know, a few more tweaks and adjustments on the roster here heading into next season. Maybe guys don't um spend so much time out of action like Brock Besser has been dealing with an injury Nils Hoglender um if they can be a little bit healthier I think this is a, a potential playoff team next year and which should still be a pretty open
0: Pacific AJ as we record this pod the Las Vegas Golden Knights are on the outside looking in and they the, huh. that's the bad huh. what
1: well, who would have thought that could happen? The Golden Knights on the outside of the plane?
0: <laughs> there you go. You know, I've been waiting for you to pat yourself on the back here, but don't be too hasty because what I'm about to say is the kind of thing that you're going to have to worry about the rest of the way. They are getting some of the guys back from the, ca- the injured reserve, Mark Stone, Robin Leonard, back in the fold. And finally looking like they'll be healthy. They need these guys to be healthy the rest of the way. And they got to pretty much almost run the table here to be assured of a playoff spot because they're really in a tight race with a couple of other contending teams. But, uh, we're talking about a team that's very high on talent when they got all their hands on deck and they are as healthy as they've been in a while all season long with the addition of those two guys. And, uh, Pat, Max Pacioretty uh, has been quiet for a while, and he will benefit from seeing these guys back in the fold. I think I have to give congratulations to guys like Chandler Stevenson and Jonathan Marschitzel for keeping this team relevant. And in the, on the fringes of the playoff participation, with all the injuries that they had, those are two guys that have really led this offense at a time when they were uh, they had more questions than answers. And maybe Shea Theodore gets gets a nod in that same way. But uh, boy, if they can make it, they might throw a scare into whoever get they get in the first round. AJ, don't count them out just yet. I think there's some life left in the Knights at the moment.
1: I mean, how both great and awful would it be to have Colorado Vegas as like a first line, uh, first, like first, first match line up. matchup? Like yeah. it'd be awesome to watch, but really disappointing. I think that those two teams would have to would have to face each other. So. Um, we'll we'll see what that looks like and, and where it ends up. In Washington, um, you know, it's been kind of a, a weird, uh, you know, weird stretch in the sense of like they can't seem to have everybody on the ice at the same time. Nicholas Backstrom was out for a little bit, TJ Oshi, Kuznetsov is questionable tonight with an illness. Dmitry Orlov is dealing with a lower body injury. I think all this has kind of culminated in this team being like still good, still led by Alex Ovechkin, still a playoff team. But I think that's really a lot of the reason why they're the last playoff spot here. Now that could change. They're only three points back of the Penguins with two games in hand. So they could easily jump, um, jump Pittsburgh there and get into the top three. Obviously your reward for that is playing the Rangers. Um, gotta love the metropolitan division in that sense. But, um, the other kind of important thing to note is that it has been a little bit more Ilya Samsonov of late. Um, has started three of their last four games. Going to get the go again tonight, so that'll be four of five. He's got wins in those three. Um, so for a while, I mean, I I, I thought it looked like Vanasek was going to be kind of the guy for a while. Um, injuries played a factor there as well. We're seeing a little more Samsonov heading into the postseason. I think it's still an open competition for playoff starter and again this is another one where uh, I don't think we'll see in every other but we could see like uh, you know somebody starts a series if things aren't going well we switch and, and then go from there um, or potentially playing the matchups you know somebody could start the first se- series but if they feel like you know uh, Vanasek is better against whoever they match up with this, in the second series if they make it past the first round um, so I don't think the goalie situation is necessarily set in the playoffs. And where that kind of becomes a factor is for people looking at postseason pools. Um, I might avoid the goalie situation unless you're really confident that Washington is going to head into the, the post or head deep into the postseason. Just because for me, there's that uncertainty of who might be in the Nets.
0: And you know what? We'll finish this up with discussion of the Winnipeg Jets. This was a team at the beginning of the season that many thought would be the best Canadian team this season. They're not going to be that. They're not going to be anywhere close. In fact, they probably won't make the playoffs. And the news this week was not good in terms of the fact that Mark Shifley will not go with them on their current road trip for four gamer. And by the time they come back, they may have been mathematically eliminated so that's the thin ice that they find themselves on certainly if you're looking for players on the ice to follow the rest of the way it begins with Kyle Connor who has had an exceptional year 40 plus goals Nikolai Ehlers back and healthy and Paul Stastny's put in very nicely in the top six and been scoring a little more regularly uh, of late Blake Wheeler's been in and out of the lineup but without his running mate at center he's going to take a bit of a down Downturn. I think the rest of the way, uh, those two really seem to feed off each other, and when one, one misses the other, it really shows in their play. I've found uh, on defense, Josh Morris, he's had a very nice season for this club, but Neil Pionk has gone the other way. And if they needed both these guys to to do their thing, and uh, Pionk not measuring up in this regard is a telltale sign for where this team is in the standings, and that's a, also reflected in Connor Hellebuck's numbers. He's done what he normally does, play a lot of hockey, but the goals against average and safe percentage did take a hit this season because the structure wasn't there and uh, they didn't have the puck as much as they usually do when their offensive defensemen are carrying it more regularly. And uh, that reflects on Piong again, as I suggested. AJ, we've gone through all 32 teams for the last time. We're going to do that this season. So our, fan, our listeners can look forward to a more concise uh, number of teams, a shorter number of teams that we'll talk about playoff bound and and those in contention the last few games, if there are any out west. So we'll go a little bit of a deeper dive on those clubs next week and as we prepare for the postseason. But we say goodbye to the non-playoff clubs uh, with this episode. We'll turn our attention now to uh, the ending of our show, and that is a look at the uh, fantasy uh, uh, daily fantasy lineups that we'll produce for FanDuel and DraftKings. It's your move to show us what you got going on the DraftKings board tonight. Sounds good. Well,
1: for for DraftKings, you know there are a ton of really quality centers uh, on the board. I mean, they'll they'll be on the board for FanDuel too. But <laughs> um, tonight, I guess, is what I'll say is there are a lot of quality centers available, um, and you can make an argument for literally just about any of these guys. I mean, Matthews ninety five hundred, McDavid eighty five, McKinnon eighty four, Crosby seventy five, Miller seventy five. Um, but for me, I'm going to creep further down here um, and I'm going to go with Sebastian Ajo as my, my first center 6,900 is the price tag home matchup against Detroit. It's, it's just too good to pass up on. And I'll just go into it right away and say this, I'm going to use Seth Jarvis who I talked about earlier. I tipped my hand on that. He's only 3,300 uh, on DraftKings tonight. So you can pair them as kind of two pieces of that top line without having, paid, uh, having to pay too much. The other thing I'll do as my other center spot, um, I know I've been blasting Vegas for, for a lot, um, but this is still a team capable of putting up points. And Chandler Stevenson comes in at 3,200, listed in a third-line role. And while that's accurate, his line mates in that third-line role are Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone. I mean, this isn't your traditional third-line role. I think Chandler Stevenson is in a good spot. Obviously, the the six-game goal drought is a concern. The fact that he's only got seven shots over that stretch is a concern. But he hasn't been playing with Mark Stone for that entire stretch. It's uh, just the one game back that he's had Mark Stone on that line with him. So I think he's worth the risk at 3200 Definitely not a cash game play. Um, It is way more of a GPP option. Wingers, I mentioned Jarvis off the top. I'm going to pay up. For Kirill Kaprasov, um, the matchup with Dallas is is decent. It's not great. 7,300, he's been fantastic all season long. And I really think um, one of the better options tonight without having to jump all the way up to like the Mitch Marner, Alex Ovechkin price tag um, to save a little bit and go with Kaprasov there. I'll also go with Matthew Tuchuk, 6,400 for Calgary. Uh, again, a fantastic season matchup. Not as great as well here. They, the flames are at home, um, but they are going up against the the golden Knights. Robin Leonard is obviously uh, a top, top goaltender. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll have that to contend with. Now it should point out Robin Leonard has given up five goals in two of his last three games. Uh, both of those actually to Vancouver. So, um, maybe Calgary can get some tape on that game and figure out what it is that Vancouver does lately. That's been uh, seeing them score five on Robin Leonard of late. Um, I'll round out my offensive group with a bit of a punt because I'm trying to save some money, but uh, Jasper Froden is going to play on the second line with Eric Halla and Taylor Hall tonight for the Bruins. Um, they're going up against Ottawa, so it's a good matchup. They're at home, so he's going to get that top six role without David Pasternak in the lineup. Um, it's not my favorite play, um, but it does let you kind of spend up at other spots. If you're looking, this is my utility spot, so you could consider um, other options. You know, Frederick Gaudreau is 2900 He could be an option. Oliver Shillington for Calgary, if you don't mind using a, a third defenseman, um, is in that price range as well. But just because of the assignment there, I'm going to go with with Froden at, at 2500. Again, definitely a riskier play, not necessarily a, a GPP caliber or a cash game caliber choice. Um, for the blue line, I'm going to start with Tori Krug, um, and we talked about this again on the DraftKings show earlier today. Um, Justin Fox numbers have been really, really good of late. Um, but he was held without a, without a point in Krug's first game back against Boston. And I think Krug slots in to kind of retake that lead role. He had a goal and assist in that first game back five shots on goal. The goal in fact came on the power play. Um, And he, he played just 14 minutes in that one in that contest with almost four of that coming exclusively with the man advantage. So um krug i would expect that ice time to go up those opportunities will go up and he'll still be on the number one power play for for st louis so i think it's a good opportunity to use him the reason i do have to punt on that utility spot is i'm going to pay up for Kale mccarr tonight 7900 huge price tag for a defenseman but he just he's been unstoppable all season long it's a home matchup with new jersey Um, i don't need to touch too much more on why you should use Kale mccarr in your lineup in the nets. Um, I didn't, again, I didn't want to use the top of the price range. Um, and I'm kind of torn between, uh, two options tonight. My first uh, initial thought was to maybe go with Jacob Markstrom, 8,300 bucks for Calgary. Um, he's been so good. We talked about that, the nine shutouts on the year. Um, but I'm, I am still just a little bit worried about that Vegas team. I could go with Jordan Bennington, um, I'd rather it was uh Ville Husso if I was going to go with the Blues netminder tonight. So ultimately I landed on Mark Andre Fleury for uh for Minnesota on the road against Dallas, but Paul you highlighted some of their offensive issues with some of their top players. Fleury and Talbot have been looking really good uh together in that that tandem there. So I like Flurry in the lineup tonight. 7900 was that price range. So um, that's what I did for my lineup over on DraftKings. Paul, how
0: do things stack up for you on FanDuel? Well, I had some similar thoughts in terms of looking at the mismatches, the one that jumps off the page, obviously, Detroit and Carolina. So I picked at that. I didn't go with any full line stacks, though, AJ. I went with three tandems. So I got three teams represented among my forward ranks, two guys, three pairs of guys that play on the same line. And I think that's been the, the way that the most successful players play this game in terms of getting – uh, at least duos, if not full line stacks, and I uh, hope that those guys have big nights. I, I can make the case easily for the pairs that I'm using there to highlight my club. I agree with you on the choice of Corey Crew on defense, and in that I got maybe a bit of a surprise on the surface of it, but again, taking advantage of another mismatch. Let me go through them, partner beginning with Sebastian Ajo, $7,900 the price tag for the first-line center for Carolina. They're rolling right now on a long winning streak. They're not going to take a misstep against Detroit as the visitors tonight. St. Louis has got great mileage out of Robert Thomas. For the last several weeks, he's actually risen up the ranks and now is the first-line center on this club, and he's putting up some great crooked numbers, still only priced at $5,600, so happy to get him under the $6,000 Platform that allows me to go a little bit higher with a couple of wingers to, uh, that I don't normally get a chance to do. First up, Nikita Kucherov at home against Anaheim. Look, two nights ago, Tampa, Boston, and Toronto all lost. I think tonight all three of them are going to win, and uh, Tampa is going to ride the the hot hand of Kucherov to a lopsided win against Anaheim, and I look for big numbers to make his eighty-seven hundred dollar price tag. Really worth it tonight. Uh, I mentioned Aho alongside him, Toivo Teravainen. Their partnership has been restored, and Teravainen's had a very nice year, averaging over 13 Fanduel points per game. He comes in at 6,300. That's cheap value for a first liner who faces Detroit. I can't wait to see what Carolina rolls out tonight. I think it's going to be a big number, and those two guys will be front and center. or or right in center, if you're talking about their positions. How about that? Then uh, the rest of my forward compliment is rounding out the pairs in the St. Louis and Tampa situations. Pavel Buknevich has had a very nice year and been a fixture on the top six. Right now he's riding shotgun to uh, Rob Thomas on that first line and putting up a lot of good good scoring totals of late, $6,300 for his price tag, one of the highest on him on the season, but he's been playing to that level. And then Andre Palat, who's kind of been the caddy to some of the superstars for Tampa all season long, he's playing first-line minutes along opposite opposites, Kucherov and Point on that potent unit. He comes in at $4,200. That's a screaming Hot value, maybe the best value on the board among forwards uh, when you consider the position that he's in as a sidekick to those stars. Then I do pick Tori Krug, all the reasons you suggest and more. He's only $4,200 in that matchup against Buffalo. And and then finally, Oliver Ekman Larson. I had to fill in with a guy in, in that matchup against Arizona that could be a one sided affair. It should be because Vancouver's got lots to play for, and uh, this is a veteran who should lead them tonight. So both power play specialists and Ekholm Larson. Ekman, Larson, and Krug, and they got them for each for $4,200. So that's great value for me. And then that's, I'm looking at that Vancouver home date against Arizona. They should win this game handily, and Thatcher Denko has been very solid for them all season. He comes in at only $7,300. I fill out my roster with $300 left, but I'm quite happy with the way it looks, A.J. Sounds so, good to me. <laughs> I hope you cash it because I, you know, I can't play that one on FanDuel. I will play the DraftKings lineup, though, and uh, look forward to seeing you in the winner's circle, my friend. Any final thoughts this week as we say goodbye to the also rounds?
1: No, I mean, I'm uh, looking forward to the postseason. where are in that kind of like weird, you know, there's still games that matter. You're still enjoying them, but it's like, all right. Let's let's get this over with. Um, <laughs> let, let's get to the real shooting. And and that's not a criticism on like number of games. Right. If if it was a 72 game season, I'd feel this way at game 62. Right. So 82 games is fine. I'm not suggesting we sort, shorten the season. But uh, yeah, definitely just feeling like, all right, let's get to the real deal um, and, and see what happens here and, and figure out who's lifting the cup.
0: That's right. Something to look forward to. The next two months should be a lot of fun for hockey fans everywhere. We'll wrap it up with our look around the league uh, in the third last week of the season. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into our podcast to get tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. Wish you a happy Easter and a good fast for those of you uh, dealing with Passover in the next 10 days. Best to all. Bye for now.